0: it's james lindsay you're listening to the new discourses podcast we're still talking about education and education theory critical education theory specifically um critical pedagogy as it were and uh this series is going to go on for a while this is a pretty wild little paper somebody sent me i don't think this is in a very important journal it's in a journal called rcp rethinking critical pedagogy, because Marxists are constantly rethinking every bit of their nonsense, aren't they? And so this paper is from this year, 2022. It's by Susanna E. Livingston at the Global Center for Advanced Studies, College Dublin, Ireland. The title of the paper is The Politics of Liberation and Love in Privileged Classrooms. And as a matter of fact, what this episode is going to do is show you what it looks like. First of all, they're crazy mentality. Second of all, that Paulo Freire is the model. Third of all, that this is explicitly Marxist. And fourth of all, that this is how they target so-called privileged kids in private schools. So in other words, what this woman's actually, um, from what I understand, somehow relevant in the NAIS, the National Association of Independent Schools, which is the national organization of what we would think of as the private schools in this country. And part of the reason why, not this woman, but the the NAIS being super woke is part of the reason why private schools are at least as woke, if not more woke, than the public schools, which is really saying something. And... The other part, another part of that reason, there are a few, another part, another is just because that's where money is. So of course the communists want to convert money to communism. Another part is because there's a huge reservoir of privilege that they can manipulate, even though this paper is going to pretend that's hard. Um, Like guilt is a hard thing for communists to manipulate in rich people. They always target rich people's kids, by the way. Uh, If they can convert rich people's kids to their destructive ideology, then they have Oceans of money and resources to spend down until the whole thing crashes into the ground. So wealthy parents who want to send your kids to private schools realize your kids are at the front of the list for juicy targets for communists to ruin so they can get their way. That's why you're seeing what's happening in these schools. You're paying $50,000 a year to send your kids to and why it will ruin them psychologically if you keep doing that. Not that the public schools are much better. Uh, other, other part of the reason that I was going to mention is because private schools exist primarily for one purpose and one purpose only, which is to groom children into being good little Ivy League college students. And the Ivy League schools are woker than woker than woke, and they are woke AF, and therefore they want woke kids. And they are going to select for woke kids, so the independent or private schools are going to work hard to make sure that the kids are woke, AF, so they can get into schools like Harvard and Yale and Stanford, which are kind of the epicenter of the problem. And so private schools are actually worse than the public schools, but in this paper, The Politics of Liberation and Love in Privileged Classrooms, we're going to find out how they tried to bend their Marxist theory around to justify the fact that, of course, they target privileged kids even more aggressively than regular kids and poor kids. So once again, parents who are making 30, 40, or spending, I should say, 30, 40, $50,000 a year to send your kids to private schools, your kids are the juiciest targets for communists. They are absolutely more than happy to convert your kids into little psychologically damaged party members who will overthrow the country that you've helped to build. And uh, you, can, you can mull that over while we read through the words of Susanna Livingston, who is a critical educator, it says, in New York City. Her work in critical pedagogical theory draws from her background as an indigenous American as well as her work in public and non-public urban school systems. Susanna has degrees in American Indian Studies and Education from Rutgers and John Hopkins Universities, which guide her work in researching both the practical applications of and the philosophies behind critical pedagogical theory in American schools. Susanna's work is based on the Freirean principles of challenging hegemonic power structures by critical education and seeks to explore applying critical pedagogical practices to non-public schools as a method of stopping the cycle of students as cultural capital. See, they're going to try to frame out, or she's going to try to frame out, that your little kids, especially if you are very wealthy and sending your kids to private schools, are generating lots of cultural capital and... uh. Thus, becoming part of the bourgeoisie, part of the uh, upper class of society, which is probably why you're sending them to really good schools so they can have lots of really good education and really good opportunities in the future. And that's what they want to make sure. What was it? Stopping the cycle of that. Okay. So you're spending $50,000 a year to send your kids to schools that are trying to teach them how to stop the cycle of you being able to give your kids those kinds of advantages. And so we'll read the abstract. But did you note there, by the way, it says the Freyerian pedagogy? We'll hear that again in the abstract. But she is a Freyrian. So all of these podcasts that I've been putting out about Paulo Freire, reading through his book of Politics of Education, and there are more coming as I go through more of the book. I'm in the middle of Chapter 7 trying to figure out what to do with it. Um, It doesn't talk that much about education. It's mostly where I really realized how religious the Freyerian model is and communism is. And so I'm not sure what to do about that in the series, but uh, the rest of that book and then the Pedagogy of the Oppressed, which is his most famous book, and I may or may not look at the Pedagogy of Hope as well, are cornerstone works, quite obviously, to how they're going to try to overthrow private schools as well as public schools. So her abstract work. When considering critical pedagogical work in the United States, it seems seems inimical to consider this liberatory work in non-public schools, as the majority of students attending these elite institutions are the children of members of and or benefit from hegemonic and repressive power structures in place. So rich parents, that's you. That's you. You are members of and or benefit from hegemonic and repressive power structures in place so your kids are little privileged brats that's how the educators at your rich school see your children as part of the problem that they want to disrupt your kids doesn't matter that you're paying literally through the eyeballs per kid to send them to this privileged elite school This, they say, is a paradox, that we're going to try to bring liberatory education to the rich kids, and she's going to try the privileged brats that are, what was it, members of and or benefit from hegemonic and repressive power structures in place. And so they're going to try to use your kids as tools to disrupt that, to break down the system that you worked hard to be able to give them these special opportunities, and they're going to try to teach your children why they are little brats. And that you made them into little brats to give them this, and that the system that you guys have benefited from, that it gave them those opportunities, needs to be disrupted and dismantled by their hands. Keep paying 50 grand a year to teach them that. This narrative review chronicles my experiences as a critical educator working in American independent schools. It explores the idea that critical pedagogues in tuition-based schools are uniquely placed to assist the movement of elite students toward places of liberatory and positive praxis, that means Marxist activism, by the way, by anchoring private school experiences in Freyurian pedagogy, which is the Marxification of education. It also explores the necessity for the liberatory education of students of privilege, explaining That often after exposure to critical pedagogy, these students both desire and are able to use their considerable resources, that's your bank account, mom, to humanize, that's a Marxist word that means transform society, and empower themselves, and through this society helping, and sorry, and through this society helping to end cycles of oppression. Okay. Remember what humanize and empower means in the Marxist, which is Freyerian Marxist way of thinking that humans create themselves and become more and more human as they become more and more socialist and make the society that forms their consciousness more and more socialist along with them. And that's what it means to humanize, whether it's the world, whether it's things, whether it's themselves, whether it's society. And that's what empowering themselves means is to become aware of this, critically conscious of it, so they can become activists. And remember, These students are exposed to critical pedagogy, so they will raise this critical consciousness because then they will both desire and be able to use their, meaning your, considerable resources to do this. And if you enjoy paying through the nose to turn your kid into a little Marxist activist, it's going to work with your their considerable resources of power, privilege, and money to dismantle the society that has been so good to them. Well, I guess that's your prerogative. If you're not so inclined for that, you might really want to rethink what's happening in these private schools that you're paying through the nose to send your kids to. And in fact, you may want to start bringing your considerable resources, educational, professional, um, financial, lawyerly, to bear upon what the NAIS is doing under the guidance of people like Susanna Livingston, a critical educator in New York City. Who draws upon Freirean education, so that she can make your schoolchildren your your privileged, as she said, your privileged little brat kids is how she thinks of them. Critically conscious, so that they will use their, I mean, your considerable resources to do Marxism. Not to put too fine a point on it, I guess, the politics, the first section, introduction, the politics of liberation and love in privileged classrooms. She writes with an italics and indention, this explores the synthesis of my devotion to liberatory education and my work as a teacher in the American private tuition-based school world. Why synthesis? Because she thinks dialectically, because she's a Marxist. See, devotion to liberatory education, which Paulo Freire, who she's already invoked, said is for the peasants and her work in American private tuition-based schools, rich private schools, that's opposites they're in dialectical tension they're a contradiction that has to be worked out so now she has her synthesis thesis antithesis synthesis program for poor kids work in rich schools make a synthesis it's this which is going to be how to manipulate rich kids into becoming marxist activists which of course is the primary goal of marxists all the time but those are your rich kids After several years of teaching in the private school realm and sensing the potential that exists for the application of Freirean pedagogy, I turned to scholarship for for assistance in the best ways to teach critically. I was flummoxed by the lack of research exploring liberatory education of elite populations in tuition-based schools. Perhaps I should not have been surprised by this dearth of scholarship. But it was at odds with my personal experiences, as most private school teachers have the desire to teach critically and see the primary goal of education as empowering students to institute positive social change. She cites herself for that claim, and institute positive social change, when spoken by Marxists, means do Marxist activism, turn the society socialist, humanize the society with their considerable resources. This critical pedagogical mindset is often part of our shared focus as private school teachers and is a a precipitate for much of our decision-making manifesting in everything from smaller individual lesson planning to our contributions to school cultures echoed constantly in our desire to empower our often wealthy and always privileged students to act as accomplices for social justice and liberation. So, Your often wealthy and always privileged little brat kids you're paying $40,000 a year to send to these schools, that's how the educators think of them, need to be turned into accomplices for communism. That's her own words. She just uses the usual Marxist code words for, for communism, social justice, and liberation. The paper itself. She begins, the majority of private school teachers see the primary purpose of education as empowering students to positively change society. Well, that's interesting, but okay. Remember, Marxists see, see the only positive change to society is to not reproduce the existing society. So in other words, to have a Marxist revolution. And so that gets tucked in there every time. If it's written by a Marxist, that's tucked in there every single time. Most private school teachers have some experience with critical pedagogy, citing herself again, so why have Freirean pedagogues as a population not formally delve deeper into the idea of critical pedagogy in private schools, where there tends to be a tremendous amount of teacher classroom autonomy? When there are close to half a million private school teachers in the United States alone, it seems like this dynamic should be explored. Perhaps the primary reason for the dearth of research in this area is that, at first thought, it seems problematic and even inappropriate to take a philosophy for the liberation of the oppressed and apply it to the financially and socially elite, the primary populations of tuition-based schools. So again, she reminds you, your children are brats, and they are the problem holding down the oppressed. And so it's a contradiction to try to bring this up, and that's probably the main reason why it's not been there. But that's, of course, nonsense. Parents pay a lot of money to send their kids to elite schools so that they get good educations. And the good education until Freire comes along means that you actually get educated. Freire comes along and says being being well-educated means being well-educated in the existing system. So reproducing the existing system. So well-educated is actually kind of a bourgeois lie. But without that being there, and the there's this huge correlation between the credential that comes along with a private school or an elite college and actually having a good education. And that's what makes people still care about those things. But obviously the imprimatur can continue even if the education goes to crap. Uh, and so what and education is actually doing when it gets brought into this circumstance is replacing Uh, the educational program with raising consciousness while retaining the imprimatur of, say, a college degree or an elite college degree, or in this case, a uh, graduation certificate or a diploma from a, and all that comes with that, and social connectivity from an elite private school. So she can't see the real reason. She has to say that it's this weird contradictory thing that you can't use a tool meant for the poor and apply it to rich, privileged kids, the financially and socially elite. The primary populations of tuition-based schools. So what she's saying, by the way, is critical pedag- pedagogues or Marxist education theorists working in private schools, see your children. Remember, you're paying these people a lot. See your children as the emblem of the problem. And so she's trying to figure out a way to convert them to be part of the Marxist revolution. And she said in the abstract that this works. And then they'll marshal their, meaning often your, considerable resources to the Marxist agenda. So anyway, this application, she says, raises several immediate questions. Is it ethical to take a pedagogy specifically designed for the education and liberation of historically disenfranchised groups and apply it to a private privileged group of, stud- of school schools and students? Is it even possible? Will liberation and valuable praxis occur? In other words, will Uh, the aims of Marxist education come out of this if you try to bring it to privileged rich kids? Is it even possible to give a critical consciousness to privileged rich kids? Could you possibly create, I don't know, a vanguard party out of them like Lenin wanted? Guess who gets cited later in this paper, by the way? Through a combination of research experience experience and a good deal of soul searching, I conclude that it is not not only possible, but crucial To all liberation, that critical pedagogy be implemented in every manifestation of educational space, public and private alike. Every school has to be a Freirean Marxist school. Liberatory pedagogy should include the students of privilege that's your kids, if you send them there, the quote elite that are often found in these types of private schools. Remember, these teachers that you're paying through the eyeballs to send your kids to learn from think your kids are spoiled brats. This paper... Oh, you're spoiled brats, by the way, because you're rich. This paper uses the term elite as a way to view the primary population of students at private schools. Elite is complex and difficult to define, as discussed by... uh, Damn it! I'm going to, this is racist that I can't pronounce this, Gatstambe de Fernandez, hyphenated last name, 2009, but it is colloquially used in many studies regarding education to distinguish not only a tuition-based school, but one deemed to have high social status among social groups that have power to decide what is exclusive and successful, usually equating this success as a private financial success in a capitalist market and individualistic society. How Marxist was that sentence, right? And so your your brats are contributing to the problem of high social status, etc. Now, let me just do a little aside, because there's a book I like to bring up sometimes. Uh, first part of the title is How Jews Became White Folks. It's by Karen Brodkin. I think it's 2008 or nine or something. Like that. Maybe it's 98 or 99. I don't know. 98 or 99, it is. Uh, Karen Brodkin. Anyway, How Jews Became White Folks. And her argument is that Jewish people threw other racial minorities under the bus in the United States so they could be regarded as white starting in the 1940s and 50s, mostly so they could get into elite private schools, in fact, in places like New York City. And then they set themselves up as kind of the leading avatars of social status and cultural power in in, in the words we see here uh, to decide what is exclusive and successful, usually equating the success as private financial success in a capitalist market and individualistic society. In other words, she accuses Jews of creating conditions for themselves in cities like New York by throwing other racial minorities under the bus where they're going to be identified as white so they can rise to the top of the privilege hierarchy and status hierarchy in society, become uh, the determiners, what Freire would regard as the superstructural agents uh, to decide what is exclusive and successful what it means to be high status. In other words, they get to hoard resources. In other words, Karen Brodkin using critical race theory to analyze Jews. In fact, this specific idea that Jews became white folks uh, reproduces the exact same anti-Semitic Nazi ideology that Hitler accused the Jews of. Um, And she's saying this is the same dynamic without bringing the Jews into it that your kids are involved in. And that, of course, needs to be broken down to, from the Freirean perspective. The superstructure has to be. Freire is very clear in say the politics of education and the pedagogy of the oppressed. Both, the you see the 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 superstructural agents like your children have to be um, problematized. And in fact, what they're doing by the existence of that is that they are setting society. They they're the only ones who have the power to write history, as Marx would have it, or Freire would have it. And therefore, the infrastructure has to band together in solidarity to overthrow them and gain the ability to move from margin to center so that they can be the writers of society, which will be a socialist society because they have the, the proper consciousness to do that. And what this paper is about is actually getting some inside agents within the superstructure to help them. And those inside agents are going to be your kids because they have considerable resources that they're going to marshal, which is the real reason they want to warp your kids' so that they can get hold of their considerable resources. Anyway, she continues, The American private school world is complex and varied, and includes all tuition-based institutions, religious, secular, boarding, co-ed, and others. With so much variety in institutions that can be labeled elite private schools, defining elite may be purposefully difficult. She literally is saying that it that the, the, the wide variety of what private schools can do is a purposed a purposed program by the elite or by the bourgeoisie, by the superstructure, so that it's hard to define what makes a school elite. And so it's trying to block communism by making the definition complicated because when you actually have your own private school, you can make it be about whatever you want it to be about. And that's a purposed effort by the society to keep Marxism out because that would be all one mentality instead of different approaches. Unbelievable. Bourdieu, she says, it's pure Bourdieu, a French sociologist. Marxist, reminds us that power elites benefit from the vagueness of the definition. Marxists never use vague definitions, do they? Although this is certainly the case, much educational literature surrounding the definition contains a common understanding in the independent school communities in which I have worked. This understanding matches definitions by Purcell and Cookson from 1985, who describe elite schools as schools that can place their students at a decided advantage at decided advantages vis-a-vis their non-elite peers, especially regarding admission to selective colleges. Like I told you, the whole thing about private schools is that they get kids into Ivy Leagues and sub-Ivy League schools, the elite colleges. And so there's an additional kind of problem here reinforcing why these schools are woke and is that those elite schools want woke kids so the colleges are going to serve that need because that's really what this is about is getting the credentialing pipeline to get your kids into an elite college. And so what's being sacrificed on the altar is their actual education in both cases because the goal is to turn them into Marxist revolutionaries in both cases. Livingston asks, would it be possible to take the advantages these elite students have and by educating them critically, I mean it's Marxist, empower them to use these often unearned advantages for the good of all? In other words, can you take these little privileged brats, meaning your children that you're paying through the nose to send to these schools, can you empower them to to, to first of all understand that those advantages they have were unearned, um, doesn't matter how hard you worked to get them. And can you repurpose them to Marxist collectivism for the good of all, for the greater good? The liberation of the children of the bourgeoisie. That's the next section. With a question mark, as if it's an open question as to whether it's possible. You're the bourgeoisie, by the way. You're the people these people hate. You're paying a lot of money to people who hate you and think that you are the thing that needs to be destroyed and abolished. And they want to use the school you're paying a lot of money to to groom your child to believe the same thing. But let's see what she says about it. Critical pedagogy for students of privilege seeks to liberate children of the elites from their unique types of bondage. Oh, they're slaves to their privilege. That's right, of course. Strives to heal them from the sickness of their isolation and empower them to be able to connect with others. So your privileged, well-socially connected brat kids in their mind have a unique type of bondage in their social privilege and money, that leaves them in isolation. that They can't connect with others and they're going to heal them of that sickness and empower them to be able to connect with others. The father of critical pedagogy, Paulo Freire, instructs us that, the de- that dehumanization, which marks not only those who, whose humanity has been stolen, but also, though in a different way, those who have stolen it, is a distortion of the vocation of becoming more fully human that's a heavy duty sentence by the way that's just marxism dehumanization for marx occurs through the division of labor the fact that you have a upper class and a lower class so the upper class has the vision of what it wants produced, it makes the lower class do the productive work, thus stealing their ability to see themselves in their own work and thus humanize themselves in the world through seeing themselves as creators. That's the Marxist philosophy or the Marxist theology, really. So in the process of being oppressed, those people are dehumanized. In other words, they lose the ability to see themselves as a truly social creature because they're in competition with one another, but also because their ability to do the fundamentally human thing. For Marx, what makes man fundamentally man versus animal, and there is no God except himself when he realizes it, what makes man fully, truly man is that man can envision the product of his own work in his mind and then produce it. And so he sees what makes him essentially human is instead of like a spider that can weave a web or a bee that can build a hive, uh, which are examples that he gives. He actually can see himself. He pictures the building he wants to build in his mind and then builds it as an architect. And that's different than when the bee builds his hive. He can picture the, the piece of art he wants to make or weave or whatever in his mind before he makes it, whereas the spider that weaves the web can't do it. That's what makes him fundamentally human, is seeing the product of his own creation come into the world. And so when he gets a job and works for somebody else, somebody else's create vision is what he's making. And that person's stealing from him his ability to do productive work, where he could be making his own thing and seeing his own creation come into being and thus know himself to be creator, thus human, thus not animal. He's stealing it from him and turning him into a cog in a machine, reduced to basic animal activity. And the person that's paying him, that created the, who owns the capital upon which he's working, owns the hammer or owns the sickle that he swings, owns the machine that he operates owns the factory in which he works and gets paid to work in, that person is stealing not just the surplus value of his productive labor, but his very essence of what allows him to see that he's human. So he's being dehumanized. Meanwhile, he's being no longer in solidarity with his fellow workers. He's in competition with them for promotions, for bonuses, etc. He's dehumanized. He's oppressed and doesn't often know that he's oppressed, so he's dehumanized. He's held down below what he deserves. He's dehumanized. But the person doing it is dehumanized according to Marx by the same process. Remember when all the feminists used to run around and say that that sexism hurts men as well as women? Well, that's the same Marxist idea. The act of oppressing makes you justify being an oppressor and believe it's okay to, to dehumanize other people so you dehumanize yourself. That's your kids because they're rich. They're little dehumanizers. But as a result of being dehumanizers, that's how your teachers at these schools, if they're woke, see your children as dehumanizers, as oppressors. But because of that, they are also dehumanized and they're going to heal them from that sickness. That's how they see themselves. But remember, Freire said that that the traditional education model is the one that's messianic, not the Marxist one. Okay? So that's your children. It's a distortion of the vocation of becoming more fully human. That's what Freire says. It's just reproducing Marxist ideology. That's the basis. That's the theoretical background. That's the philosophy guiding this paper and the education of your kids at expensive thousand dollars per year. If we take this as truth, well, let's just do it, okay, it's just true, let's just use Marxism say it's true, then it is crucial for private school teachers and students to reach places of frary and praxis, or become Marxists, because if the privileged are left to be trained to use the many resources at their disposal to dehumanize and disempower others, and thereby themselves, the cycle of oppression and the struggles that surround it will continue. So if you don't Marxify your rich kid, if they don't Marxify, I should say, your rich kid for you, then they're going to just keep using their elite status to dehumanize the other people and themselves. And so that's going to keep oppression going and the whole system's going to keep going and therefore we, we won't get our Marxist revolution, which is all Freire actually talks about is getting to the point of revolution. In fact, Freire is famous for saying the revolution has to be perpetual. For the moment, it stops being revolutionary; it becomes a status quo. We must, she says, never forget to include all children, regardless of the socioeconomics of their parents and backgrounds. This way, this is why she, this is where she's trying not to look like a gold digger. In case you're wondering what that's about. We must never forget to include all children, regardless of the socioeconomics of their parents and backgrounds, in critical dialogue and liberatory praxis, for the deterministic nature of education can liberate these children from the ignorance in which they will most likely end up trapped if they are allowed to continue learning in their current hegemonically oppressive, elitist, and dehumanizing environments. So the kids in the private school who aren't rich, in the elite school who aren't rich, well, if we don't teach them critical pedagogy, then they are, (laughs) holy crap, then they will be trapped. There will be no way to liberate them from the ignorance in which they will most likely end up trapped if they are allowed to continue learning in schools that actually teach things, which she phrases as their current hegemonically oppressive, elitist, and dehumanizing environments. That's how they see the school that they work for, in case anybody was wondering if they should be fired. This is not to say that critical work should stop in public education, it is more crucial than ever, but rather that it is imperative that critical education should be expanded to include all students. As Henry Giroux explains, now hold on, who's Henry Giroux? If Paulo Freire is the prophet, Henry Giroux is his evangelist. Henry Giroux is probably the most influential critical pedagogist and is actually considered by other scholars to be the father of critical pedagogy and he is the one who is responsible in large part from within the kind of scholarly side of things and the administrative uh university administrative bureaucratic side of things for bringing Freire's work into the colleges of education through the 1980s um so Henry Giroux is Freire's kind of biggest disciple I would actually say he's the St. Paul to to Freire, Jesus, if that weren't so sacrilege, but it's a good metaphor. As Henry Drew explains in his June 2018 article in Democracy and Education, neoliberal regimes across Europe and North America have waged a major assault on critical pedagogy, public pedagogy, and the public spheres in which they take place. In the last few months, remember this was written at the beginning of 2022, so this would reference the end, one would suppose, of 2021. In the last few months, Americans, along with many other neoliberal societies, have seen legislative pushes to directly and purposefully limit liberatory education. That would be the things like the Bills Against Critical Race Theory that yours truly helped make come to be, with Critical Race Theory and its pedagogical cousin, Critical Pedagogy, specifically targeted. See? She mad at me and my colleagues, and all the great, wonderful, strong-spined people, almost all Republican who have stood up to these things and will continue to stand up for these uh, against these things to save our children and save America. The concept of critical race theory has been recently vilified by United States politicians as quote radical, quote un-American, and quote racially divisive as a concept. That American politician that they don't want to name would be Orange Man. It would be Trump. That would be in that executive order um, that I didn't officially say that I helped write. Several states have even banned schools from teaching critical race theory. (laughs) Yep, I wrote an article asking for that right after Trump put out that executive order, with more states debating doing the same. Very good. Thus, the imperative to not only resist and defend against these assaults on critical pedagogy and public education, but to expand its practice to include private spheres. So that's, there's an imperative. Because we're trying to ban critical race theory in public schools, there is now an imperative to put critical race theory and critical pedagogy in private schools. That's what she's saying. It might become illegal in the public schools, so we have to make sure it's deeply embedded in the private schools. So the goal is to make, you know, all these school choice advocates running around saying, oh, just school choice, then we'll have a market and it'll fix everything. No, it won't. The private schools are already captured. In fact, they're captured just as bad or worse than the public schools. And you are not going to be able to leverage them because they're trying to make sure that they become completely unaccountable. So the school choice has to be thinking this through more carefully uh, without just kind of Leroy Jenkinsing into, oh, let the money follow the backpack with all the strings still tied to it. She says, I offer a set of experiences, because experience is what you have when you're in a religion of pathos instead of logos, lived experience in place of evidence, pathos in place of logos. I offer a set of experiences that highlight how this is not only possible, but necessary. So pay attention. I know I was was ad-libbing a lot through that paragraph, but what she's actually said here is... Trump and many states are banning critical race theory and taking shots at critical pedagogy, especially in the public school environment where they actually have more say. The government has more say over the public schools. Pay attention, school choice people. Get this right, or get out of the game. Stop Leroy Jenkinsing this issue. I'm dead serious. I know that'll make a lot of the school choice people hate me. But what what's happening is there is. Enough public pressure and pushback to where certain states, and when Trump was in office, the federal government were taking steps against critical pedagogy in public schools primarily. So the untouchable, less accountable private school sphere becomes imperative for inserting wokeness in. And this paper is used to justify how and why that's going to happen. That's what's going on here. Also, because Vampires like to suck lots of warm blood and your children, if you were sending your kids to these places at 50 grand a year, have lots of considerable resources at their disposal that the communists could make great use of. Historically unappreciated and undervalued in the United States, teachers themselves often unwittingly buy into the idea that teaching is somehow not only, not an honorable profession. Even those of us that recognize our value are hampered by the hundreds of years of, Ameri- of American de on education. I assume that's supposed to be disemphasis, especially on all critical thought, meaning critical theory thought as opposed to uh, critical thinking. They're not the same. Yet, this same history provides many examples of how neoliberal regimes in power do value and understand education's importance. Among the first changes enforced by totalitarian and fascist regimes is always the curtailment and elimination of any liberatory curricula. Because fascists understand that communists destabilize everything. So, when they use that destabilization to take power, they kick out the destabilizers. And what this article fails to recognize is that the fascists who take over the uh, dictatorship of the proletariat in socialist societies following Marxism, in fact, do the exact same thing because they are, in fact, fascists. Because the first stage of communism is fascism. And communism is literally just fascism's ad department, sales department. Moments before his inauguration in early 2019, fascist Brazilian president Jair Bolsonaro, or Bolsonaro, sorry, that's Brazil, tweeted, quote, one of the goals to get Brazil out of the worst positions in international education rankings is to combat the Marxist rubbish that has spread in educational institutions. We'll talk to any Brazilian who actually knows or cares about what's going on in the world, and they'll tell you Paulo Freire destroyed Brazilian education. They're one of the most expensive, bloated failures on the planet, and it was Paulo Freire's Marxist rubbish that spread throughout the entire education system there and much of the rest of South America, and that we've now imported into North America, and Bolsonaro is dead on about this, so of course, they hate him. On the campaign tra- trail, Bolsonaro said he wanted to, quote, enter the education ministry with a flamethrower to remove Paulo Freire, <laughs> based Bolsonaro to erase Freire and feminism from textbooks as the cited reference. Based, based, based. That's third degree based. Clearly, if education is among the first targets of oppressive and fascist regimes, remember the definition of oppressive and fascist regimes for a Marxist is anything that's not Marxist. Oppressive is, in fact, what they said is enabling you to have the resources to send your kids to private school, right? So Marxist education crap is the first target, not education overall, is the first target of oppressive and fascist regimes, which means anything that's not them. It is of paramount importance to liberty and democracy, both perverted definitions, and thus both can and should be used offensively to combat repression in all of its carnations. Incarnation, sorry. While this is its own justification for including private education under the critical pedagogy umbrella, because people who don't want Marxism don't like it is enough justification, there are more nuanced, complex, and important reasons to include Freyerian pedagogy in non-public schools. Liberated societies can, let me pause. So I told you you were going to be absolutely made clear that what they're trying to do is argue that we need to make Private schools into Marxist training facilities, and that Paulo Freire's uh, work is going to be center in what they're wanting to do. So, if you doubt the relevance of Freire and me spending so much time, for example, on this Freirean pedagogy series and set of series that I'm doing right now with the new, new discourses, then you're completely missing the point. If you don't understand how important Freire is, you have no idea what's going on in education. And here it is, trying to force the pedagogy of the oppressed into privilege as they see it, and thus they're trying to work out this contradiction. So Freire is central, Marxification of private schools is the goal. Groomer schools is one of the tools when you get to the dialogical model, as we've already heard. So this is what they're going to turn, you're going to pay $40,000 a year or something like that to send your kids to Freire's groomer schools so that they can learn to hate the oppressive society that they misidentify as fascism. So they can go off to their private school and come home hating you, hating your family, hating everything it's done, hating all the privilege and opportunity you've worked so hard or somebody in your family's worked so hard to provide for them and hating their country that allows it. Sounds like a great deal, just like you sent them to Harvard so they could yell at, you know, Nicholas Christakis or whatever and scream at him like a bunch of spoiled, entitled brats. Liberated societies, we're told, can exist, can only exist if education itself is liberating. Okay, so that's simple. Liberated society means communist society, so we don't want that. So they can't have it. It's only possible if education is liberating education. So it seems like if we just don't want if we don't want a communist society, we just have to not allow communist education. If she's correct in her claim, that's what she said here. Communist societies can only exist if education itself is based in communism. Okay, so we don't do that. But she says, can only exist if education itself is liberating, and all students deserve this liberation. All students deserve to live under communism. Wouldn't that be great? With the 21st century American government's daily movement away from democracy and closer to fascism, I mean, Biden was president when she started to write this, so maybe. Each tool in every educator's arsenal must be used to combat repressive systems of the status quo and replace them with communal, equitable, and egalitarian organizations that is, communism. Educators are not popularly seen as key figures in social and political liberation. Yes, they are. Teachers and teachers unions are probably like the center of the problem right now. But we may be among the most important because education is deterministic. We are able to fight repressive hegemonic systems on the front lines and on a substantial, powerful, and effective scale. Yeah, by getting rid of real education, which would allow social mobility and making sure only party members can be advanced by making it into Marxist education. Got you. An implementation of critical pedagogies in private schools would limit the power of schools to see students as cultural capital, a concept developed by French sociologist Pierre Bourdieu, and defined more contextually by Anthony Abraham Jack as, quote, the collection of taken-for-granted ways of being that are valued in a particular culture. This expansion of Frearian uh, pedagogy would help create and support a non-stratified community. Non-stratified, meaning no upper class, no lower class, abolishment of class society, Marxism. So that, quote, social mobility becomes unnecessary. So she was just saying, really, that the point of education is to allow for social mobility, but if you make education Marxist enough because equity equalizes downward, you can get rid of social mobility completely because there is no social mobility anymore because there's no classes. There's only just one giant lower class. Thus resisting the popular idea of the role of private school education as a means of becoming more social and economically mobile. So she wants you to spend 50 grand a year to send your kids to private school to learn that upward mobility through education is actually a bourgeois plot to maintain an oppressive society. Great. Keep paying for it. Keep paying for it. Critical pedagogy in independent schools allows for a unique type of praxis that removes all students from this cycle of having to exist as cultural capital. Those are trying to claim that becoming educated turns you into a form of cultural capital. Uh, you know, you become an elite. You're cultural capital now. You're, you're a special part of society. We can get rid of that. That's not why you sent, That's I mean, why are you paying to send your kids to those schools anyway? Not Certainly not to give them a leg up in the circumstances, right? Of course. For the critical independent school educator, this pedagogy provides opportunities for the most privileged of students to engage with their peers, with other members of their classroom community, and with their own ideas about privilege, power, and equality, citing herself yet again. It does so in a way that encourages critical engagement while providing space for students to be a part of a community of thinkers, quote, who assist each other while at the same time check each other's tendencies to purely idiosyncratic or self-interested thinking. It's just more paragraphs to say repeatedly the same thing. We can turn your little rich kid into the Marxist vanguard so that they want to dismantle the system that you helped build because they're privileged brats and so are you. Keep paying these people thirty dollars or $40,000 a year to do this to your children. Just keep doing it. Ultimately, if we care about social justice, editors note, we don't. We don't want communism. Sorry. Ultimately, if we care about social justice and we believe that education can help transform society, transform, there's that T word, everywhere you see anything that starts with trans, you better get your fox ears up, then we must care about how students of privilege are educated. Examining privileged students' experiences with schooling can help to to illuminate how inequalities persist. In other words, we can see that your kid is a little brat, even though you paid a lot of money to get him here, and how he's contributing to the problem. They can also denormalize elite education, generate strategies for including elite students in the social movements working toward justice, turn them into Marxist activists, I like to denormalize elite education and elicit compassion for the ways in which systems of oppression ultimately dehumanize even those they advantage. See, they're just trying to heal your students of being privileged little bastards. Isn't that great? This inclusion of elite private schools in the charge to form a more just and equitable future, communism, can feel unnecessary and thus is a challenge to critical pedagogues working in all spheres of education however as dennis mckay 2007 notes quote because the dominant culture relies on unquestioned privilege the opportunities to name critically reflect and act are equally denied the privilege and the other so the dominant cult, so let me, let's break down this quote the dominant culture relies on unquestioned privilege so you're not questioning your privilege so we have to teach your kid to question their privilege There's your guilt-inducing, and that takes away their opportunity to name, critically reflect, and act. Naming oppression, making oppression visible, critically reflect upon that and reflexive action, that is the praxis, as they put it into action. Name, critically reflect, and act. Do praxis, Marxist activism. Are equally denied the privileged and the other. So remember, there's the privilege, the stratification of society is into the privileged, the superstructure, and their abject other, which reproduces Hegel's dialectic all the way to the very theological root. Leonardo's 2009. This means Zeus Leonardo, who, if you don't know who he is, is an education activist. You should definitely look up some of his videos because he is a lunatic. He is an absolute lunatic. He says that, that uh, all white students are intrinsically racist. In fact, because uh, being white racist, white white supremacists is integral and core to their very existence. So this is a wonderful guy. Leonardo, 2009, similarly notes a need for a different approach with privileged white students when he references Lenin's belief that, quote, the proletariat must be educated while the bourgeoisie revolutionized. So your kid has to become your privileged little bastard kid has to become the bourgeoisie revolutionized while they're doing in the poor ass private schools teaching the critical pedagogy to educate the riffraff and turn them into um turn them into a, a awakened um proletariat so we're going to awaken the proletariat with them and your little bastard kid is going to get to be with his privilege part of the the vanguard party of Lenin who is literally Lenin's belief, Lenin literally referenced here. Isn't that fun? And Zeus Leonardo turned the exact Leninist model in education into white, black or white people of, white uh, people of color, just like we see throughout race Marxism, aka critical race theory. When read in combination, she says, educational literature points to three common reactions, as defined by Swalwell, of privileged children when exposed to social justice pedagogy. Before we get to these reactions, let me just pause for a second. You're paying tens of thousands of dollars a year to send your kid to elite schools, and the educators in those elite schools are caught up in a cult, a Marxist cult, that actually references Lenin as justification for what they want to teach your kids. Did you want to send your kids for umpteen thousand dollars a year to go become little Leninists? Well, if you are part of the Communist Party, you probably did, because you know that you want your kids to be part of the revolutionary vanguard, and you in fact want them to be elite party members later. But if you don't want a communist society, you probably are shitting your pants right now, because they're literally trying to turn your kids into the Leninist vanguard to overthrow society. And since we're in a cultural revolution and you're their parents, guess how that goes for you? You should go look up what the Chinese kids did to their parents when they were deemed privileged. It's great. (laughs) You might have to shoot your kids in self-defense. So what are these reactions when exposed to social justice pedagogy? First... Though they may well learn of injustices in the world, privileged students are likely to, quote, frame these issues as abstract and demonstrate a deep unawareness of their root causes. Of course, they're going to intellectualize them, and they're not going to care about the real causes because they're caught up in the ideology that you, as a privileged person who can afford to send them to that school, have uh, pushed into their heads, giving them false consciousness about the, the real nature of society and willful ignorance. They don't know and they don't want to know. Second, whereas marginalized students may, may come to feel empowered by learning about systemic oppression, privileged students are, quote, likely to feel overwhelmed by guilt or anger and resist this pedagogy. So that's what they're going to do to your kid, your privileged little bastard kid, likely to feel overwhelmed by guilt or anger. So your kids are going to have a great time at the school you're paying $30,000 a year to go to. And I I don't mean to keep calling them little bastards. I'm speaking for the person in the paper here because that's how they see your child. I think that your kid's probably great. I have no idea. Maybe they are. Maybe they're not. I hope they are. And third, if students choose to participate in social action as a result of their exposure to social justice pedagogy, in other words, if they do social activism in Marxist style, privileged, and it's capitalized, students are more likely to act in ways that frame themselves as, quote, savior figures, who help a deficient other in a patronizing or superficial way, instead of expanding their worldview, empowering them to act and engaging them in action as social justice pedagogues hope the literature ultimately warns of the potential for social justice pedagogy with privileged students to backfire because they're so spoiled that they're just going to elevate themselves with it. While these reactions by students of privilege certainly must be considered when critically educating them, they are far from probable or insurmountable. Perhaps more importantly, while there have been studies that examine the relationships between social justice and students of privilege, it is important to note that almost no research exists examining the direct application of critical pedagogy in private schools. It is my experience as a critical pedagogue in private uh, a private school environment that I wish to share. I just want to go back and read that part about the guilt and stuff. Your Your children, privileged students, are, quote, likely to feel overwhelmed by guilt or anger and resist the Pedagogy. Yeah, that's great. Overwhelmed by guilt and anger. Okay, that's your kids. That's what they're going to get at school. You're going to pay 30, 40, 50 grand a year to send into to them. While we see school mission statements as a window into the community's ethos and priorities of independent schools, most missions are assembled by school boards, administrators, and committees from a parts kit of hoary cliches and trendy buzzwords. School mission statements are, quote, so general and so alike that they fail to differentiate themselves in the schools they represent, reducing even the most noble of aspirations to banalities. Oftentimes, missions are physically separate from diversity and equity statements. Oh, there we are. But contain rhetoric that implies equity and solidarity. This false solidarity, because it's not centering equity, of course, is actively dangerous. Son in part because it relies on charity rather than mutual aid, and thus serves to further existing systems of oppression and exclusion, but more importantly because it offers a conscience salve in the form of the illusion of solidarity in action. So it might teach to be allies. The school mission statement might say that they're doing equity work or social justice work, but it's actually fake. They're just putting a balm, a salve on their own conscience, Allowing them to, to feel good about themselves while doing the illusion of solidarity in action. This ethos of charity, she says, is frustratingly an often well intentioned but all too common framework in the educational structure of privileged youth, frequently manifesting as, quote, service work, a type of voyeurism, or what Hernandez Sheets calls helperism, which is, quote, platitudinous and no longer viable for marginalized people. So they're not real activists. And that's what she wants to overcome. Such approaches are both disruptive and distracting. They are frequently found in private schools in the language of, quote, community service requirements, in which privileged students are briefly dropped into existing community support organizations to provide temporary and transitory physical help, ignoring what is most needed real solidarity and support, including a commitment to build build long-term relationships with these community organizations and movements over time. You know, where like the community organizers that are trying to make a revolutionary movement out of the ghetto population that Marcuse talked about is going to need a lot of money to do that. So if they had a long-term relationship with your considerable resource-laden privileged little bastard kid, then maybe that they could milk those considerable resources to that community organizing project to radicalize the ghetto population in Marcuse's program. Maybe I read that into this, though. I know in the private schools in which I have worked, there have always been, quote, community service requirements with remarkably narrow focus, like raising public awareness of horse abuse. Other private schools at which I have worked have required, quote, service learning days, in which students spend a day volunteering at places like women's shelters or cleaning up roadside litter. These experiences resonate with some of the students, but as this work is not anchored in any type of reality, in italics for the elite so that's going to mean real lived experience which means marxist understanding of one's own conditions and context like Freire talks about much of what could have been valuable in fact much of the intent of the exercise itself is abstract that's the claim that's in italics as well and is and therefore its value is often lost so your little bastard kid is too privileged to understand when he does his community service work that he's actually doing something to benefit the community and just thinks it's something that he has to do because he's so privileged he's a little bastard and doesn't know the value. That's how they see your kids. You're paying them a lot of money to see your kids this way and teach them from that perspective. While any help can be positive, and it is wise to insist that privileged institutions provide service to their communities based on ability and need, that there's a period there, so I'm lost because the grammar is so good in this education paper. So shallow forms of, quote, service learning can obscure underlying causes of injustice, reify privileged norms, excuse privileged students from critically reflecting on their lives, and reproduce a false sense of, quote, us and them. In other words, it's not sufficiently Marxist, right? Uh it's not real critical consciousness, but pseudo awareness of real oppression is not limited to quote community service. Independent schools also maintain the facade of training their teachers to be just, justice-minded, liberatory practitioners, but rarely offer concrete and/or physical, profession, or philosophical, sorry, professional development experiences to their faculty. So you've got to warp the faculty's minds to turn them into Marxist, Freyrian teachers too. This is a tragedy, she says, as many independent school educators are justice-minded and see liberation as the primary purpose of their work, citing herself again. What can be done to synchronize the desires of so many private school educators? Now hold on, let me just pause there. Let's take her at her word. Maybe lots, maybe most. Many independent school educators are justice-minded and see liberation as a primary purpose. Liberation is a Marxist word. It means liberation from capitalism. It means liberation from oppression and class society. Um, liberation, uh, Liberation from any limitations whatsoever placed by social structures or reality itself upon the subjective range of the human that's coming to see himself as creator, as God in the Marxist theology. Okay, so let's take her at her word. Many doesn't mean much because it could be absolute or relative, but let's take her at her word and assume that many or even most independent school educators are little communists. Um, As she insinuates here, what on earth would make you think that private schools are better than public schools for wokery? If many of the teachers are just as woke or woker than the public school uh, alternatives and probably it's worse Because they've had higher degrees of education and indoctrination and all of this nonsense in these colleges and universities, often elite ones. Uh, At that point, you know, what are you actually achieving with your school choice to send your kids to private schools if the private schools are just as woke and less accountable to public rules and uh, the public and state legislatures and things? What can be done to synchronize the desires of so many private school educators to further liberatory pedagogical objectives and provide resources and education that empowers us to do so successfully? Unfortunately, and perhaps on some levels purposefully, there's always got to be the insinuation of a conspiracy against the Marxists. Private school professional development, PD, very rarely considers this type of pedagogical development, meaning turning them into Marxists, and often access to professional development is limited by wealth both the lack of personal wealth of the teachers themselves and the distribution of personal development money and professional leave by private schools so there's your grift get the schools to give you more money if it's for social justice liberatory personal development professional development programs the dearth of available critical pedagogical professional development is its own issue to be addressed so now we need more critical pedagogy for the teachers to make them into marxist educators in the freirean mold and she's going to want the schools themselves or some other, somebody else to pay for it, because they're Marxists. In the world of tuition-based schools in the United States, local and national independent school associations, the NAIS particularly, do provide a multitude of diversity, inclusion, and equity events, training, and conferences. However, they're almost all fee-based, and thus often counterintuitive to their purpose. Why would it be counterintuitive to diversity, equity, and inclusion training if they're not Marxist, to charge? Why is it counterintuitive to to their purpose to have people pay for them unless they're Marxist? Oh, so diversity, equity, inclusion events, training, and conferences are Marxist. Logic. Wouldn't it be a bastard if somebody that studied Marxism had any? Even though most private school faculty do not pay out of pocket to attend these events, it comes out of most teachers' limited yearly professional development budgets. So they don't even have to pay for it. They just want more money to go to critical facilitators and consultants. What a grift. And, of course, that's the budgets that are coming out of your tuition. So when those budgets go up, so does the tuition that you're paying to send your kids so that they can send the teachers to become even more Marxist to teach your kids to have guilt and anger problems. Thus, educators are required to select between equity-based professional development and other skills-building experiences. Well, why on earth would those be mutually exclusive unless equity-based professional development has nothing to do with skills? Oh, of course. Often at the expense of the former. In other words, teachers in private schools tend to choose actually increasing their skills rather than Marxist socialist bullshit called equity. Okay, thus furthering faculty ignorance of critical pedagogical practice. It's a conspiracy to keep the Marxism out of the faculty. Access to diversity. What's a conspiracy? <laughs> People might choose skills over communism. Oh, my God. Access to diversity-based professional development events are necessary, as the population of students of color in non-public schools has substantially increased in the last 20 years. Critical pedagogy, while addressed in discipline-specific journals and occasionally larger education spaces, is, quote, not given enough coverage under the constant attack for market-oriented non-secularization of the education system, end quote. So they're, they're saying more persons of color, students of color, are going to private schools now. Therefore, we need more communism in the faculty or it won't work. This disconnect between the increase in students of color and students from economically disadvantaged populations and the opportunity for professional development in critical pedagogy and communism for private school educators serves hegemonic structures. That's not at all true. And continues to disenfranchise all private school students except for those um, disenfranchised, what was it, economically disadvantaged population students who would have got a good education. Instead, you taught them to be a friggin' communist. Yeah, disadvantages them, disenfranchises them. Yeah, so stupid these people. The American National Association of Independent Schools (NAIS), which I've now named a bunch of times, admissions data from twenty, or sorry, from two thousand to two thousand one, shows the enrollment of students of color at sixteen point eight percent of total enrollment. With the twenty eighteen through nineteen enrollment of students of color much higher at thirty one point six percent. For a multitude of reasons, American private schools are steadily becoming more diverse. Thus, professional development that uplifts and support these students, okay, maybe, as if maybe they need special treatment because they're a skin color or something, and encourages liberatory curricula, oh, because they need to be turned into communists, like Herbert Marcuse said, because they're the ghetto population, even though they're going to expensive private schools. I got you. That's how they think. If you're a person of color sending your child to a private school for $40,000 a year, They are the ghetto population that Herbert Marcuse says has the radical energy that that can turn your kid into a Marxist. Isn't that great how they think about your children? And it's crucial, she says. Professional development that uplifts and supports these students because they're black and, and encourages liberatory curricula is crucial. And should not be limited to wealthier schools with larger endowments, professional development budgets. So... We've got to figure out ways for the government or something to pay for these teachers to go become Marxists so they can take your of color child who's already going to an expensive private school and turn them into a Marxist. Because Herbert Marcuse said that the real vital energy turns out to be in the ghetto populations, which is how they think of your elite kid because of his skin color. So he's a problem and also a reservoir, or not just of resources, but of vital energy for revolution, if they can just use race marks to bring it out in him. The large-scale implement- implementation of liberatory pedagogy could alleviate many of these issues. If we just made it, say, mandatory all across the board, as all learning would be exercised in diversity, equity, and inclusion as both faculty and students move toward a place of liberation. Together, as co-learners like Freire said, however, a primary challenge to this large-scale implementation remains the lack of educator exposure to critical pedagogy. In particular, and not surprisingly, the omission of critical pedagogy for private school educators. See, not surprisingly, because it's a conspiracy against the Marxists to make sure that their stuff stays out of those hands, even though all the advantages are there. Also of note are the more informal but still problematic dearth of workshops, literature, and discussion about critical pedagogy in almost all incarnations of NAIS, organized professional development, including events specifically designed at a national level for educators of color and their allies. So now the NAIS is being twisted. This paper's goal here is to twist the NAIS into creating more Marxist, identity Marxist nonsense, critical pedagogy nonsense for people to go to probably going to try to be wedged into paying for people to go to it too, as we just saw with the grift. At the NAIS People of Color Conference in 2018, out of more than 200 presentations in total, there was one presentation on critical pedagogy. (laughs) It's like already a bad proportion, it should be zero. The previous year, there were no critical pedagogy events based on We must ask why this is the case, for it is not due to lack of interest. Well, it should be due to lack of interest because all the critical pedagogues should be fired. A bunch of them should probably go to prison. That's my opinion, though. My 2018 workshop on critical pedagogy in independent schools filled a room to overflow capacity. Okay, well that's a problem with the teaching colleges, isn't it? That's another reason why we can't leave Roy Jenkins into school choice because the teaching colleges are all teaching educators to be these nut jobs. And many, many educators are these nut jobs, and they're screaming for more of this nut jobbery because once you become one of these nut jobs, that's all you scream for. Our subsequent breakout discussion groups reinforced my anecdotal experience, aka evidence. That critical, radically-minded educators are, one, surprisingly, a substantial number of independent school faculty. That's not surprising to anybody on earth who understands what's going on in teaching colleges, by the way. And two, unaware or only partial aware of the existence of critical pedagogy as a a liberatory tool. While the audience attending this session was self-selecting in a myriad of ways, no kidding, the larger desire of private school teachers to educate critically was later supported with numerous surveys conducted on na- conducted nationally among more than 100 private school educators about their beliefs and backgrounds. An enormous 97% agreed that the primary purpose of education was, quote, to empower students to create a more just and equitable society. Wow. 97% of private school educators agreed Probably because they don't know what the words mean, one hopes, but it's because they went to college and got indoctrinated because if you want to become an educator, you have to go to college, probably a college of education and get indoctrinated. But 97% agree that the primary purpose of education is to teach kids to be communist, a more just and equitable society, a more communist and socialist society. Justice and the social justice lexicon means communism. It means the spontaneity that arises. After enforced equity, and equity is the, the tantamount to socialism. It's an administered economy in which outcomes are made equal. That's the definition of socialism. 97% agreed that the primary purpose of education is to empower students to become communists. Amazing. That's a crisis. An ethos of belief in the tenets of critical pedagogy also exists most strongly in this population with 89% agreeing that their students, quote, pre-knowledge and previous life experiences are all as valid as their own. Their pre-knowledge and life experiences are all as valid as their own, end quote, citing herself. Okay, now hang on. Valid is a word we got to pause on. Valid doesn't mean true. Valid means so if, if true exists within the world of logos, valid is its, its analog within the world of pathos. It's that you just don't deny it. So if I spout off some stupid crap, it's completely false, but it, it taps into my feelings or something and nobody wants to hurt, hurt my feelings, that's pathos, then they would say that's valid, but maybe it's not true, right? Pre-knowledge and previous life experiences are all as valid. The teachers are saying that the students pre-knowledge is as valid as their own. The hell does that mean? Why are they teachers then? Get out. There's the door. But this is what Freire says. This is the whole point of Freirean pedagogy, which is at the heart of this, is that educators and learners, not teachers and students anymore, are in dialogue with one another as equals. I learned as much from my students as they learned from me, or even more. That's the attitude. It's nonsense. It is the obliteration of the hierarchy of teacher and student that's necessary for effective learning. As somebody who's trained martial arts for, I don't know, getting on 30 years, I think almost now, I'm not that old, 25 years, 26 years, something like this. And having a really, really, really sound teacher, um, for the last 15 years, at least just a fabulous guy in terms of his teaching. It is not a pleasant experience. You can't it, like, it's, it's actually kind of brutal. And it's a constant correction. And it, the, the the truth of the matter is, is that if he wasn't way better, there'd be absolutely no point to this relationship. We'd just be screwing around. How do I know that? Because the model that we use is what we call study groups. And so we have local study groups where at the beginning, at least, we were all basically as clueless as one another, kind of stumbling our way through these things. Then we would go to workshops and seminars with the teacher when we could. The main reason that it wasn't a direct, more direct relationship is that he lives in China and we don't. Um, which is a significant geographical hurdle, but that dichotomy of, of skill and power is crucial. And so he even says to us, you know, um, I think of myself as half friend, half educator, but when we're training, I'm teaching, we're not friends. And he's frankly kind of mean, uh, it's not real pleasant. He's not real nice to you about it. And your pre knowledge and previous life experience are not valid. (laughs) compared to what he has. They're just not close to as valid. In fact, it's embarrassingly not valid. Um, and he, he won't hesitate to tell you one of the first things that he said to me. In fact, of the first time I ever trained the art with him was you may be too stupid to learn this. Like my pre-knowledge was as valid as his own. No, absolutely not. It absolutely wasn't. And I never would have got anywhere if I pretended it was. So the Marxists want to break that down because their goal is to create a dialogical groomer model where they're grooming you into critical consciousness. So what you have now is a cult groomer who's facilitating through the educational like play acting performance of education, the grooming of people into the critical consciousness, into the Marxism. Utter nonsense! Any educator who believes this pre-knowledge and that the students' pre-knowledge and previous life experiences are all as valid as their own needs to leave the profession. They are worthless and they are dangerous and they're wasting your kids' time. And you should not be paying them thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars a year to a school that employs somebody who thinks that that's true about education. They are an incompetent boob, if not a dangerous groomer, and they need to get the hell out of there. It is important to note. That while much literature exists emphasizing the need for critical education and teacher preparation programs producing both public and private school educators, most teachers already active in the private school world claim that the primary purpose of education is to empower students to create egalitarian future societies. Again, egalitarian now is referencing Rousseau more than Marx directly, but we know what it means. Therefore, we must become familiar with or have access to literature and resources for and begin to practice critical pedagogy in our private school systems, or classrooms. sorry. We must become familiar with, have access to literature and resources for, and begin to practice critical pedagogy. Therefore. Yeah, right. This private school liberatory pedagogical agenda is very possible to implement because of the large amount of teacher autonomy given in these classrooms. In other words, there is no oversight in a private school. You can get away with just about anything you want, which is why they want that public money through badly implemented school choice to be able to fund them. P.S. Don't Leroy Jenkins that issue. 88%, they say, she says, of private school teachers surveyed felt they had much autonomy regarding both content and pedagogy citing herself. With the U.S. Digest of Education Statistics in 2017 putting the number of private schools at over 34,000, there is a strong argument to be made that the implementation of critical pedagogy in private schools has a tremendous amount of positive potential for Marxism. It is impossible to institute social change in this population without the implementation and indoctrination of knowledge and values shared through education. Did you hear that? It is impossible to institute social change in this population without the implementation and indoctrination of knowledge and values shared through education. Conversely, it is possible to institute social change, assisted by elite allies, that's you and your kids and your resources, really, with the implementation of liberatory knowledge and collective values in private schools. Schools are not simply sites of opportunity, rather they are, quote, deeply political places, where students are sorted and labeled, and where the policies, practices, curricula, and informal interactions can reproduce society's inequalities in both covert and unambiguous ways, end quote. Marxification of education. That's what I told you. I've said that repeatedly with the freire stuff. Independent schools need also to be engaged as sites for these opportunities. If we believe that there is an overall pressing and immediate need for critical education, it becomes necessary for private school teachers to become guerrilla educators as we attempt to circumvent this educational system in which so many of our students are trapped. Now, this is where it's worth pointing out how much praise Paulo Freire gives to Che Guevara, as a guerrilla in the guerrilla mindset so you have this system it's in place the educational system educational bureaucracy etc and maybe it won't let you brainwash students into marxism so you have to act like guerrilla educators that's what you're going to pay 30 40 50 grand a year to send your kids into that environment so that these marxists posing as educators can have their way with your kids to get their revolution this is done how gramscian is this this is done by chipping away at the system from the inside by Freirean pedagogy used to open minds one student at a time by emphasizing the collective good rather than furthering individual competitiveness and by adding voices of the historically marginalized and disenfranchised to the existing body of commonly taught knowledge in a way that shows these groups are at, uh, as active in history rather than having history happen on top of them Marxism using identity primarily it is done by crediting innovators and inventors that have, his, have been historically ignored because of their gender, race, religion, or ethnicity. But it is more than this. The methodologies described in Freire's Pedagogy of the Oppressed, 1970, can be used in private school classrooms. Because of its unique mix of student backgrounds, private schools and private school educators are uniquely positioned to implement critical teaching. This is why you can't Leroy Jenkins school choice. Please hear me on this. You're going to walk into a trap. It is important to keep in mind that the uh, that alliance between the privileged and the oppressed should never come at the expense of the oppressed. So you're really going to put the, the twist on, on your privileged little bastard kids that you're paying so much money to go to these schools. In my time in the private school world, I have seen many administrator, administrations, mission statements, and task forces work hard to maintain the illusion of solidarity with the oppressed. So you got to work harder, do better, blah blah blah, Marxist manipulation. Often, with honorable and honest intent and feeling, they do strive toward accomplishing their goal. However, anything more than a cursory explanation of any manifestation in actual practice illuminates this as false solidarity. They're not real Marxists. They're not doing it right. They have to try harder, do better, and ingest more critical nonsense because they don't have the theory. The mission statements of schools accredited by NAIS show a myriad of priorities, but the language of many of them includes statements like, quote, respect for all persons and, quote, valuing of differences, while the actual experience of, experiences of students differ considerably. That's fancy speak for do better, do better, do better, do better, do better, do better. the constant Marxist manipulation and extortion racket using love to liberate the elite. <laughs> Let those words soak into your mind. Of course, love is going to be critical love. If you didn't know that the Marxists had redefined love, well, here you go. It means that you love the students enough to turn them into Marxists. And to do what? To liberate the elite. From what? The condition of being an elite, which is making them dehumanized because it turns them into oppressors who reproduces society for their own benefit that they don't even understand. What becomes crucial in considering the value of critical pedagogy and liberatory practice in schools is the idea that every student experiences educational determinism, that the type and amount of education experienced by a student predisposes them toward their future social and often economic roles in society. So whatever your school situation is, that's going to have a huge effect on who you're going to become when you grow up. I don't know if that's true or not but she cites herself, so it must be true. Perhaps uh, Perhaps the challenge of recognizing education as deterministic is best expressed in an article discussing the lack of democracy in private schools by Jack Schneider in 2018. Quote, No school, if it is to realize its full potential and if it is to foster the public good, can be conceived of as private, parochial, or even independent. These terms imply ownership, competition, disunity, disconnection. Schools with the most freedom to act and the greatest power to effect change must not be fortresses and silos. They must be laboratories and lighthouses. End quote. Marxist. It's so Marxist. You can't be conceived of as private, parochial, or independent because that implies ownership, competition, disunity, and disconnection? Come on. The point of a private school, he's saying, or an independent school, is to be a Marxist. He goes on to discuss, she says, how private schools can be used as laboratories and lighthouses to further the public good. Marxism. He suggests that in order to do so, private schools must both prioritize diversity, remember that that means experts in diversity under structural and, I guess, educational determinism now, and use their position as as places of both great resources and much teacher autonomy to focus on educational practices that liberate. Every time they say teacher autonomy, you must understand that that's why they want public dollars pouring into these things, and you must not get school choice wrong. (laughs) We're so screwed if we get school choice wrong and start funding woke private schools because they'll move all of it there where there's no public accountability whatsoever. We already heard, apparently, that 97% of educators that she surveyed are interested in turning private schools Marxist. 97%. Where are you going to make a private school that's not making Marxists then? How are you going to do it? You think that the NIAS is going to accredit them so that you can then get your kids into college? No, of course not. They control the pipelines. You cannot just blindly say, oh, we'll put money into this and it'll work. Well, you, it won't work if the money follows the backpacks this is what you're going to be paying for. You actually don't have a free market. They have completely captured the market. You need to break the teaching college's monopoly. You need to have the accreditation pipeline broken open. The NIAS certainly can't have a monopoly on this. You have to have choice to have a market. This isn't a market. They're trying to redirect uh, public money to pay for their, mono- their monopoly power. And if you get school choice wrong, you're going to be creating not the Keystone XL oil and gas pipeline that would give us some energy independence or something like that, but instead the pipeline of massive amounts of money and resources into making sure that completely unaccountable private schools can continue to wokeify the living crap out of our society. We need to nourish, she says, the capacity of these children of economic and political advantage, that's your little bastard kids from her, her mouth, to understand and transform their world. Marxism through critical consciousness and connection Marxism elite students are often denied the opportunity to experience dialogue with students from other backgrounds they are often presented with limited myopic sets of knowledge and told that these flawed pe- like calculus and told that these flawed pedagogical experiences are not only complete correct and appropriate but the apex of what an education should be The fallacy that if one education costs $40,000 and another is free, the more expensive education must be better, often the default mentality and the corruptions of capitalism. These are the people that you want educating your kids at $40,000 a year. These falsehoods will continue until corrected. Yeah, damn right they will. So you better stand up and, uh, oh, sorry, I'm getting her backwards, but you better stand up and get these people out of education, especially in your private schools and you have a lot of power and resources. They've already said so, if your kids are going to these. These falsehoods will continue until corrected, and corrected in all spheres of education, public, private, and otherwise. Revealing this truth is only possible because of the relationships between students and teachers, both being motivated by shared experiences of caring and respect. There's your emotional empathy, compassion, manipulation. Matriarch of Critical Pedagogy, Antonia Darter, 2017, writes about love and its relationship to learning, that love is the most powerful of teachers. Does this sound like it's appropriate in school to you? Like I'm already weirded out. A natural human feeling that both encourages and limits actions and restores us as human beings. No student should be denied this experience, and no lasting substantive change can truly happen until all students are exposed to these experiences. You know, like feeling loved in school between the institution and the, the, your kid as its new family. The love between students and their teachers is radical in itself. Yeah, because it's groomerville. And thus the love between the elite students and their subaltern middle class and usually public educa- public school-educated teachers citing herself, requires trust and often sacrifice on the part of the educator because your kids are little bastards and won't actually be able to reciprocate feelings with their teacher, uh, even in ways that might be appropriate because they're privileged little bastards that have poor subaltern, meaning having no voice, completely marginalized, middle class and usually public school educated riffraff teachers working in the private schools. The critical pedagogical process in private schools can be painful for students and teacher. Children of privilege are children, after all. And just as they did nothing to earn their privilege, because they're little bastards, like I keep telling you, that's how she sees your kids, they also did not choose their position. So they're victims of you being well off. It is necessary we remember they are also victims of this system of oppression, granted in a different and much more comfortable way see you being well off enough to send your kids to private school according to the people that are going to teach your kids at forty grand a year victimized them they are victims of a system of oppression but pushed into a position that they're super comfortable in because they're trained to be little bastards little privileged bastards that's how these these teachers look at your kids and you're going to pay through the nose to send them to school for that we must be willing she says as a culture to shine this searchlight of critical consciousness Marxism, on the difficulties that children of privilege have in breaking free of the limits of being born into a system of oppression, the limits forced onto both the oppressor and the oppressed. See, you being well off enough to send them to an expensive school victimized them. Literally, that's the word, victimized them. And we have to be aware of their, use critical consciousness to bring to bear on the difficulties that their little bastard asses have so that they can break free of the limits of having been born rich. They think really well of you, and it's gonna be really, really healthy that they're gonna be educated in this system. Aren't you happy you're paying $40,000 a year to send them to this? Dennis McKay, 2007, that's a hyphenated name, puts us in terms of, quote, border crossings between distinct social groups and wisely cautions us as critical educators in the private school world, Both we and our students need to be sure to, quote, become border crossers in a respectful and responsible manner. And to do this, quote, students of privilege must become culturally competent because by living in a place of privilege, these students are living in a dehumanized world. See, you dehumanized your children by having money. Maybe you worked really hard to be able to afford to send them to that school to get them out of some hellhole public school. Well, you victimized them. You have dehumanized your own kids by having enough money to send them to private school. And so they, being privileged little bastards, having to mix up with the riffraff middle school, public school educated teachers are going to have to be border crossers in respectful and responsible ways, using critical consciousness to guide them, Marxism to guide them. While this world is much safer and more comfortable than the lives of marginalized students on the other side of the border, We have a responsibility as educators that includes critically educating students existing on both ends of the enormous gap between us, a gap caused by capitalism and neoliberalism. That's who you're paying a lot of money to teach your kids. Pedagogy for students of privilege should seek to liberate the advantaged children in the world from their bondage. Did you know that you put your kid in chains by having money? Perhaps also heal them from the sickness of their isolation and empower them to be able to connect with others. See, they're elite, so they're too good to hang out with the riffraff, so they're isolated, and we can heal them of that if we're Marxists. And In addition, facilitating their own healing and rehumanization, which, remember, you dehumanize them, so the school's going to heal and rehumanize them. You victimized and dehumanized them by being rich, and so the school is going to facilitate healing and rehumanizing them for you by teaching them that you did this to them. It is crucial we understand the societal potential in critically educating the elite. Critical pedagogical work with elite students attending private schools is crucial for many reasons, but one of the most important remains the future access of these children to resources that can be positively harnessed to make positive social change. See, they're vampires. Your children have lots of blood. They can, it's your money. They can drink that blood if you just groom them first. If critical work is omitted from their educational experiences, both the financial and social resources they possess, what are they focused on? What do they care about? Well, first of all, that you dehumanize your own kid and victimize them by having money. But more importantly, if we don't turn them into little Marxists, if critical work is omitted from their educational experiences, both the financial and social resources they possess through you, resources that the majority of us do not have access to will be sometimes consciously and sometimes unconsciously used to dehumanize and disempower others and thereby themselves, allowing cycles of oppression to continue. Wouldn't it be better if we turn them into Marxists who use their resources to not do that? That's what they want. They want your resources for Marxism through your children. That's what this is about. A 2014 study by political scientists provides evidence that the traditional levers of political power are most effective when actioned by elite individuals. Gillens and Page. Oh, they have political power too. Their research proves that economic elites are the most influential political actors when it comes to the making of public policy in the United States. Political scientist. Oh, sorry, in the United States, political scientist and writer David Rothkopf, 2009, elaborates on the important eventual influence of elite students when he claims, quote, it is still the case that many graduates of independent schools go on to careers in finance and government. It is at the intersection of these two sectors that critical decisions are made, sometimes in plain sight and sometimes behind closed doors, end quote. So they want the access to your resources like your money and your political power through your children. Better turn them into Marxists because they're going to go off to do elite things. If we get Marxists into positions of elite, places with lots of financial resources and social capital behind them, wow, they could change the whole world. So that's the goal, is to turn your kids into the Leninist vanguard, just like she said. Knowing this, it seems negligent to omit this group of future influencers and policymakers from any practice where the desired outcomes are substantive and egalitarian social and legal changes, aka Marxism. Additionally, Purcell and Cookson, 1985, inform us that many, though not all, students in private schools go on to become members of the power elite, e.g. politicians, CEOs, and corporate leaders. Hence, these spaces remain important contributors to the reproduction of upper-class privilege. Surely, these spaces could and should also be used for the removal of this same class privilege. Could they be more naked with their ambition to usurp money, social status, And the potential for political influence and power by grooming elite kids to become Marxists, to go off into the world, to use the imprimatur of the elite school that they're destroying in the process, to go off to another elite school, to become power shapers. But that's best when they're Marxists. Could it be any more naked what they're after? By the way, it's your kids and you're paying them $40,000 a year to do it to your kids. We must think of this ever-increasing global scale of the power and influence of America's elite, accelerated by technology and the expansion of education generally. These stresses again. These stresses again. The importance of critically educating the elite. There's something grammatically wrong there. These stress again the importance of critically educating the elite, with the reminder that this globalness also exists in education and has led to greater global inequality within countries. This is yet another argument for the inclusion of the children of elites in critical education as their future future global power to repress can be replaced with larger spheres of worldwide liberation, global communism. With the amount of potential influence these students will possess, we are foolish to exclude them from our critical pedagogical work. You can hear her salivating at the possibility of getting rich, powerful people to become Marxists by grooming them in schools while you pay $40,000 a year for them to be able to do it. It's just your kids use your resources how you want key dimensions of critical synthesis in elite non-public schools a kincheloian approach so this refers to a marxist educator who's recent who died in i think 2008 actually joe kinchelow joe kinchelow is credited with coining the term critical constructivism which is the term that i have said is actually the mechanical operational term for wokeness or what Jordan Peterson called, uh, uh, postmodern neo-Marxism, critical theory fused with social constructivism, critical theory being critical Marxism or neo-Marxism or identity Marxism fusing with, uh, postmodern social constructivism. So anyway, that's who he is. Critical pedagogy in all private schools, like all critical pedagogy must quote, take place on uncharted social and cultural territory, Kinchelow, 2007. And as such, the, quote, key dimensions of critical synthesis, as described in Critical Pedagogy in the 21st Century, which is Kinchelow's book published in 2012 for this edition, are both unique and uniquely necessary in non-public spaces. And if Kinchelow died after 2008, there's something relevant about 2008 with him, but I don't remember what it was. 2012 doesn't throw me off. Maybe it was later than that. It's not a big deal. He did die, though. The application of these, quote, key dimensions of Freirean pedagogy to private education are a synthesis of the critical theoretical tradition and understandings students of privilege and their positions of power, okay? A synthesis of critical theoretical tradition, so critical theory applied to understanding students of privilege and their positions of power which is how they think of your kids, including, quote, understanding of dominant cultural pedagogies and the subsequent identity construction. In other words, how they became to think of themselves as little rich bastards. Like all critical education, this must include Freirean steps and shared experiences toward a pedagogy of liberation with elite populations. These often manifest on a different timeline and through different sets of experiences than critical pedagogical manifestations with historically disenfranchised populations. Yeah, you can't talk about how they're oppressed by everything, so you have to convince them that they are in fact oppressors. It is important here I echo Peter McLaren's 2006 disclaimer in Life in Schools. I wish to make it clear that my teaching experience is Uh, Attempting to synthesize these key pedagogical dimensions of Freyrian experience with private school students are not offered as evidence that proves that all critical pedagogy will work in all private schools, but rather that it can happen, and that it is both important and life-changing to these private school students at any and all levels of success. Can't prove that it'll work, but it might. Let's do it in all the private schools. That's literally the argument. And I don't know why, but as far as I can tell, Freer and is now spelled differently um, from at the beginning of the paper. And one of them is therefore probably misspelled, but I'll leave that be. I offer these experiences because lived ex- her lived experience is valid. It's as good as evidence. Uh, I offer these experiences as suggestions that the inclusion of this pedagogy in private spaces is a solid, viable option, that up to this point it has been incompletely studied, and that it hopefully inspires my private school educator comrades to consider its application seriously. Educator comrade is hyphenated, that's the idea, both practically and philosophically. My detailing of the success and challenges of critically educating elites is in no way meant to imply that I am an exceptional critical educator or exceptional educator in any respect. No, you're a communist bastard. I guess you're a woman. You're a communist bitch. Rather, I wish to share. Well, can't can't assume anybody's. You're a communist comrade. Rather, I wish to uh, to share the modest successes that proved positive while working under my hypothesis that a combination of love and consistent reinforcement of critical practice would move participants in critical private school classrooms to places of growth and discovery, in other words, become Marxists, even with the non-traditional audience and complicated group of personalities and backgrounds found in these non-public spaces. In other words, that your kids, that you're paying $40,000 a year to send them there, are little bastards. In my experience, critically teaching children of elites, there have been a few successful tactics for moving students through phases of Frayian growth and toward necessary decodification of relevant issues. Didn't we just talk about that in Chapter Six of Politics of Education? What was decodification? So codification—it's it's the opposite of codification. So he gives you three steps to the critical consciousness: codification, problematization decodification. Okay, there's the three steps. They are the dialectical steps of, in fact, abstraction, negation, and concretization, according to Hegel, reproduced in education. Codification is where you show somebody an image of their actual circumstances, where they are removed from that. So you're going to show pictures of rich little bastards to rich kids, or you're going to show farming and backbreaking work to peasants. And then you're going to say, look at all the problematics here. And then you're going to problematize that, abstract it, get them critical distance from it, then hit it with its problematization, show them what little bastards look like. That's negation. And then you're going to bring them back into that codification and say that thing that we abstracted, that's you. Don't you feel it? Don't you feel guilt and shame? And don't you want to be an ally? That's decodification. So moving students through the phases of Frearian growth and toward necessary decodification of relevant issues. There you go. The first is a modification of existing curricula to include a Freerian perspective, now it's spelled differently again, of the past so that past human decisions and choices are clear and the past can be seen as active rather than passive. In other words, you are now going to use a Marxist study of history to get them to understand why they're privileged little bastards. Teaching the impact of human agency on the past and connecting it to clearly to the hegemonic structures in place allowed my students to be aware of the root causes of problems in other words blaming the system while also empowering them to change the future by showing it is not a set of course a set course of events but rather dictated by human choice and response that it can be influenced by their choices and responses super marxist this is often seen by my private school students as both empowering because they know they have the financial and social potential to institute change having become aware of their privilege so that's going to be great and also overwhelming as they realize the depth and breadth of the work and that needs to be accomplished. While I did experience some students framing issues as as abstract and demonstrating a deep unawareness of the root causes, it took me several years to realize that this was often a first step toward their conscientization rather than a stopping point when I alerted them to their own oppression. So conscientization is what Paulo Freire calls consciente in um, Portuguese and it means wakening up to the various levels of critical consciousness rather than a stopping point when I alerted them to their alerted them to their own oppression. So what she's actually going to do to do the codification is she's going to show them how being trapped in being rich leads them to become trapped in being an oppressor, which dehumanizes them. There's their guilt and shame. And then that's the problematization phase of that. And then she's going to link that back to them in the decodification of their own privilege. As my journey as a critical educator of elites continued, I found that my experiences were often parallels of but not natu- but naturally not the same processes as those key experiences as outlined by Kinchelow in Critical Pedagogy in the 21st Century from 2007. It is useful, therefore, to frame these experiences through the lens of the private school educator. Key dimension number one, the development of a socio-individual imagination. Socio-individual Huh, sounds like one of those dialectical synthesis things of becoming social man, or socialist man, as Marx called him. It is the job of educators in elite institutions to move outside traditional private educational practices, challenging students belonging to the power group, often including the children of the wealthy, to consider and imagine new forms of knowledge acquisition. Hmm. Freyer in education, knowledge as a Marxist theory. In particular, it is our job to emphasize those forms of knowledge and its acquisition that lead away from static knowledge systems and others that laud domination, and instead purposefully stress systems that move these students towards social justice and democratic community, that is communism. As the gap between rich and the not rich becomes larger by the day, as Federal policies continue to support the acquisition of wealth by the rich at the expense of those already disadvantaged. 21st century education continues to tear society asunder, quote, by commodified informationalism. McLaren, 1994. This must be combated in all realms of education. In other words, Marxism and education. Key dimension number two, reconstitution of the individual outside the boundaries of abstract individualism. Gotta get rid of individualism. So we have to reconstruct the individual outside of individualism, which means as socialist man. Reconsideration of the individual is central to all critical pedagogy as it celebrates self-realization, but in elite environments, it is particularly crucial that we contextualize this very carefully, considering the traditions in education that use the concept of individualism in the Western tradition. Private school critical pedagogues are tasked with the constant re-emphasis and redefining the idea of the individual making sure it is anchored in critical communitarianism, communism, highlighting that community should always take precedence over individual interests. See, the problem here is going to be that privileged kids, like your rich little bastard kid you're sending to school for $40,000 a year, uh, are going to be led to believe by the prevailing bourgeois, bourgeois ideology that they deserved it, that they worked hard and earned it. And that's false meritocracy, that something about them as an individual made them qualified. So no, we've got to break that down and get them not to think that way. And instead, we're going to think and we're going to anchor their thoughts in critical uh, communitarianism, highlighting that community should always take precedence over individual interests. This emphasis on community can only serve to further democracy, meaning communism, of course, and will hopefully help children of privilege acquire and retain a mindset that corrects the harmful traditions of individualism at the expense of the collective whole, especially if positively experienced over a period of time in a safe school environment such as private schools, which are safe and in which most students stay from ages 4 to 18. I'm telling you, she's trying to say that we're going to turn your kids into the Leninist vanguard. This can be challenging if students have benefited from hegemonic systems that applaud individual wealth and presented as earned, see what did I tell you what was coming, because of ability and hard work. However, because collective thought is not only an imperative, but also a superior essential truth to human existence, well, there's some Marxist theory for you, exposure to criticism of Western individualism will mitigate the erroneous mindset of individualism when critical pedagogy is part of a student's classroom experience. Realizing that their peers come from a variety of socioeconomic backgrounds and being exposed to both their personal experiences and feelings about these experiences also often serve to foster elite students thinking more critically about their wealth, whether it is earned or not. Remember, that's their their wealth. That's your wealth, whether or not it's earned. Hmm. Good luck with that. Keep paying for it. Some students, for the first time, consider collective action and the common good as an option in their lives. Key dimension number three, the understanding of power and the ability to interpret its effects on the social and the individual. Sounds very Marxist. Perhaps most urgent of the dimensions key to critical synthesis in the non public arena is the need for students to privilege of privilege, sorry, to be cognizant of their position, both present and future, in places of wealth, power, and authority. Because then they can use them for Marxist ends. Even when we consider that the modern private school classroom contains more racial and class-based diversity than ever before. It must be acknowledged that being in these elite institutions gives every student in the private school to varying degrees the potential for power both political and economic again you hear the salivation the transformative critical educator must work in two domains when moving private classrooms to places of praxis so the previous key number three was again reiteration she's turning your kids into the marxist leninist vanguard In addition to, quote, an understanding of how power operates in the social order and the ways it works to produce subjectivity, there's your Marxist anchor again, citing Kinchelow here, critical private school educators must purposefully anchor their students and themselves to this power structure, asking them to consider their own relationships to it all the while consistently and critically exploring together there's freire as equals right the ways that quote hegemonic forces mobilize desire in the effort to win the public's consent to the authority of various power blocks Kinchelow again so marxist with so many students having made sorry with so many students having family inside or adjacent to those blocks of power and control see you're sending your kids to private school because you're maybe a senator or something this seems daunting but as all critical pedagogy is concerned with connections of people, power, and place, it is paramount that students from the elite class are actively tasked with the social analysis, so they will obtain a realistic sense of power, both of others and of their own, and examine its past and future impacts on all of these connections between power—sorry, pe- people, power, and place, with a critical eye. Now remember, it started out, with so many students having family who are in the power elite, maybe it's weird that we're going to teach them about what the power elite is. But no, it's very important for them to realize how the power elite works. That's what they're saying. This does not mean students will not feel compelled to defend their place in a system that empowers them, but it does require all students to con- to consider the system itself and how it self perpetuates. So they're going to feel defensive. They're going to feel guilt. They're going to feel anger. Which she tried to say earlier that some people say that'll happen, but no, it won't really happen. Often, this is where my colleagues and I report having stopped critical teaching in the past as the anger and guilt students feel about benefiting from this system require much emotional labor on students and teachers alike. And some risk to the educator if students take this anger and guilt home to their wealthy parents. That's you. That's the red guard coming to your house. It is not, however, insurmountable don't worry, we're going to psychologically and emotionally abuse your kids to hate you and what you represent in society and themselves. You're going to pay $40,000 a year and don't worry, we can still get them to Marxism anyway. Key dimension number four, the provision of alternatives to the alienation of the individual. How Marxist is that concept, right? It is crucial to note that the central to the evolution of critical pedagogy is finding alternatives to the social and educational alienation that exist in the current abusive hegemonic power structures surrounding education. How Iron Law of Oak projection is that? This manifests with children of privilege specifically in two ways. First, while individuals from less politically and financially dominant locales, such as underfunded public schools, are denied access to institutions that provide tickets to social mobility by use of a a rhetoric of standards, excellence, and values. Standards, excellence, and values are how we keep underprivileged kids out of the elite schools, is what they're saying. And it's just a fake rhetoric used to exclude some people and grant to formal education the bourgeois people that is your little bastard kids. Children... Of privilege do have access to these institutions by attending elite private schools the trend in the private school and sorry the trend in private school admissions to diversify access with respect to race ethnicity and economic status i should just add a parenthetical so long as they're not asians from poor families paired with an understanding that the student access to these quote mobility tickets will result in the eventual opening of the place as a privilege to everyone collectively of course the ultimate goal is the elimination of social mobility itself. So those poor Asians that they're keeping out, well, they weren't supposed to be able to rise anyway. We don't want to let anybody rise. But the opening of these spaces is a necessary step toward freedom from them altogether. Second, if critical pedagogy does not exist, and hold on a second, let me just say it again. They want to teach your kid the ultimate goal of of what they're teaching your kid for $40,000 a year is the elimination of social mobility itself, because there will be no class society because they're Marxists. But the opening of these spaces is a necessary step toward freedom from them altogether. Second, if critical pedagogy does not exist in private educational spaces, the children in these spaces are also victims of alienation and are locked into the same oppressive system by their inability to move away from their own, admittedly much less dire, unique forms of alienation. In other words, they're alienated because you have means and you have wealth and you gave them a good life and that means that they can't really know who they are as people because they're trapped in the ideological bourgeoisie state and you are actually dehumanizing your children as a result of having money. And giving them good opportunities in life. And I guess they're supposed to have social mobility somewhere, like downward. It is possible to include children of elites as part of the German Bildung tradition of providing them alternatives to their own alienation, citing Kinchelow. And because of the, the deterministic nature of education, it is crucial that this include private spaces for critical learning. Key dimension number five, the cultivation of a critical consciousness that is aware of the social construction of subjectivity. That's straight Marxism. An evolving critical pedagogy produces conscious individuals who are aware of their self-production of the social conditions under which they live. Okay, that's critical consciousness, citing kinchelo What this means to private school students is that they often operate in a social reality that they themselves do not understand, because they're privileged little bastards, and propagate social conditions that they do not consciously choose, because you abuse them and dehumanize them by having money. Students must acquire a critical consciousness so they recognize these dynamics, realizing that the blinders placed on them by their own social prominence and wealth are hindering their overcoming of their own alienation thus allowing them to construct social relationships with not only each other, but those outside their sphere of privilege. Because that's, clearly they can't make friends with normal kids because they're rich, because you dehumanize them by having money. Your own children. You bastard. After acquiring this consciousness in the private critical pedagogical classroom, the public space... Political culture can be merged with the private space, privileged culture, allowing the space to be completely reconstructed and eventually, if necessary, dismantled. So there'll be no difference between the public school and the private school you're paying $40,000 a year to send them to anyway. We'll dismantle the whole thing. Keep sending your checks, though. Key dimension number six, the construction of democratic community-building relationships between individuals. Democratic for communists means... Uh, proletarian democracy, as Lenin himself laid out. What that means is that you are only in a true democracy when you are in a perfectly communist situation, because if anybody's not equal, anybody has more money, like to send their kids to private school, anybody has more privilege, then they have more voice, they have more power, they have more access to setting the culture or setting the trends of society, as we keep hearing repeatedly throughout this paper, and therefore it's not truly democratic. So now we're going to construct a democratic community-building relationships between individuals. Transformative pedagogy, Marxist pedagogy, must be centered on a development of an individual self coupled with the construction of a democratic awareness of difference, citing Freire. For private school students, the notion of their individual existence being relative to others is often surprising, but necessary because appropriate responsiveness is a crucial or sorry, is crucial for, quote, the intersubjectivity that develops both social consciousness and individual agency, according to Kinchelow. Students of privilege must learn to utilize these new understandings of how power shapes subjectivity. In other words, they have to realize that they're privileged little bastards, but if they became Marxists, then they could use their privilege to do Marxist things. It's grooming. While subaltern students who participate in traditional critical pedagogy often have individual experiences that allow them to understand how systems of oppression strip their social fabric and deny resources and power to their communities. So, in other words, you can say, Look how oppressed you are. You're so oppressed you don't even have the ability to shape society. You're subaltern. That's what that word means. And so, it's easy to get them to see their oppression. On the other hand, children of privilege must be allowed and encouraged to see how their own positions of power can be used to prevent these systems. They can be made aware of their potential to provide resources to combat these systems and see the need to break down the hierarchical social fabric. So they can be groomed to be Marxists. They can be turned into the Leninist vanguard. While this may seem counterindicated in my experience with the education of the privileged, most come to understand that democratic community-building relationships are necessary for stopping processes that oppress, they become Marxists. This often occurs as these children critically acquire appreciation for, quote, the nature of justice, the invisibility of the process of oppression, and the difference that highlights our own social construction as human beings, end quote. Joe Kinchelow, 2007. Just laying the Marxist theory into your rich kid that you're paying thirty or forty thousand dollars a year to turn him into that. Key dimension number seven: the reconceptualization of reason, understanding that all relational experience, existence. I'm sorry, applies not only to human beings but to concepts as well. So now, reason and knowledge concepts are also Marxist. Uh, have a Marxist uh, framework of of economy of difference applied to them and have to be treated as such. Kinchelow, 2007, states that critical pedagogues have a responsibility to both critique the individualistic and one-dimensional definition of reason and expand it so that it includes relationships and contexts, both concrete and abstract. In other words, they have to shift from what Hegel called Verstand, understanding, to what he called Vernunft, uh, reason, the higher-level theoretical understanding that Marx believed to be the Wissenschaftlicher Sozialismus, the scientific socialism. Individualistic Cartesian ontology has remained the primary reason tool in the traditional American classroom as the individualism of quote, reason, encourages the hegemonic capitalist emphasis on competition and de-emphasizes any logic that uplifts, expands, or celebrates collectiveness. The re- thus, reason is its own tool of oppression. So they're going to teach your kids not to value reason. Forty thousand dollars a year, removing these limitations on the definition of reason by revisiting it from, sorry, by by revising it from this outdated, selfish, colonial definition focused on the individual, allows students to educate themselves and each other in a new transformative process that supports positive social education. Wissenschaftlich or Socialismus. In other words, turn them into socialists. Revising the definition of reason in the pedagogy and curricula of private schools provides students of privilege with a new, expanded, and superior collective way to understand their own experiences and the experiences of others as, quote, reasonable, not real reason, not logos, back to pathos, Marxism, shifting them away from the individualistic systems that have allowed the existence of hierarchy in places of oppression, you know, like private schools. This can seem difficult, but we should remember that the paradigm of emphasis on the collective rather than the individual is not a new or radical idea. It has existed and exists in most traditional non-Western societies, like shithole communist countries. Because this group-focused indigenous concept, see, so they're whole shithole communist idea. Why are they, well, hold on, Why do they go to indigenous? Because remember that Marx said that stage one of society is primitive communism or tribal communism. And then stage six of his ideal society finishing is global communism, where you no longer have the tribal boundaries. And so they hearken to individuals, but they're talking about socialism because they're pretending that the individual tribes had something like communism that could be applied in the global sense under the the doctrine of communism. This is one of their central conceits. So they have to bring that up, because this group-focused indigenous concept, what they really mean is socialist concept or communist concept, is often replaced during colonization, because that's their, they hate the West, with the erroneous and overly simplistic Cartesian model. It has not been propagated in most systems of education in the United States, especially in places of privilege and wealth. This must be remedied if critical learning is to occur. Key dimension number eight the production of social skills necessary for active participation in a transformed, inclusive, democratic community, aka communism. As Kinchelow, 2007, reminds us, individuals of quote, all stripes, ages, and backgrounds, and contemporary hyper-reality search for an identity. And this includes children of privilege. Your little bastards. Of note is that the resources Of note is that the resources at their disposal, combined with their potential to hold positions in the current hegemonic power norm, will largely be harnessed for the collective democratic good when these same students learn to look at social actions not just through the lens of the political, but also with an eye on the quote economic, cultural, psychological, epistemological, and ontological, in other words when they become Marxists. Thus, they will not just inherit, but also earn the ability to have input into civic and democratic life where they can be voices for emancipation, that is Marxists, and have opportunities to act as truly democratic citizens, that is Marxists. What I just told you about true democracy, according to Lenin. In my experience, most students are naturally very democratic and desperately want to earn a place in this system, deeply desiring an identity that they feel is both positive and just. Conclusions. Where are we now again? As a critical educator who works in private schools, I am used to defending myself, defending my choice to teach private school, defending my critically educating the children of the elite. And though I am early in my academic career as a formidably experienced educator, no narcissism there, I will share this. A great many private school children honestly care about, sympathize with, and want to work to change current systems of oppression in America so they're easily brainwashed into this, and earnestly wish to move our nation to a place of both liberation and egalitarianism. In other words, you've turned them into socialists at 40 grand a year from their parents. Many desperately wish to be our allies and accomplices. They want to be a red guard. Most teenagers I have worked with over the past 20 years have a very fierce sense of justice, are hyper-concerned with what is fair and what is right, and crave discussions about issues of, of equity and equality, Wouldn't it be good if you had responsible people teaching these people instead of Marxists then, because they're apparently very sensitive to this, and it can be groomed one way or the other very effectively while they're teenagers, which is why it's so, so important to get the Marxists out of education, not put them into it? When critical pedagogy is introduced into their classrooms, the majority, not all but most, of them are relieved. Sometimes thrilled to, to know more about and have the tools to decide what is wrong and how it happened, to understand what is needed for positive change. And as one young woman with both a huge heart and a huge trust fund shared with our class, they're excited that they, quote, now know what needs to be done. Saliva for that trust fund dripping from her pen. Oh my God, these people. When I was beginning this work, that's who who filled that trust fund though, Mom. When I was beginning this work and I started discussing the need for implementation of critical pedagogy in elite places of learning, I experienced much skepticism and sometimes pushback from members of the critical pedagogical community, occasionally even from scholars I admired for years. It took me months of thinking before I concluded that I genuinely believed in what I was arguing. No child should ever be educated in a way that oppresses. No child the implementation of critical pedagogy in private schools is just a step forward in the ever-evolving process Joe Kinchelow describes as, quote, changing to meet the needs posed by new circumstances and unprecedented challenges. They should just say, and so the dialectic progresses, because that's what they mean. Writing this article, I frequently found myself returning to Shirley Steinberg's 2004 Introduction to the Reader, Critical Pedagogy, Where Are We Now?, in which she eloquently conveys not only what critical pedagogy is, but how it feels. It can feel empowering to educate critically, but by necessity it is also, quote, uncomfortable. I took solace in the fact that perhaps my uncomfortableness in applying critical pedagogy to elite populations of students meant that I was being an honest practitioner, and this allowed me to continue to progress. Marxists love to make people uncomfortable. What I have attempted to convey in this piece, hopefully with clarity and empathy, and apparently salivation for that big trust fund, huh babe? is that we should feel uncomfortable about critical pedagogy in elite places. Yeah, I agree, we should, because it's totally screwed up. But that this uncomfortableness is part of the larger experience of movement to a more just and equitable world. Oh, it's cultish. Away from neoliberalism and its evils and toward a place of love and deep knowledge. It is similar in its uncomfortableness to the growth that occurs in a critical classroom. And while the students of the privileged should feel this discord while engaging in dialogue and positive praxis in their classrooms, we as critical pedagogues should feel that same uncomfortableness as we ponder whether or not the application of critical education should be extended to the private domain. Just rationalize for yourself that you feel bad for what you're doing. If what is written here, a challenge to the traditional applications of critical pedagogy, has made you uncomfortable, made you question, and has offered a challenge to your status quo, man, the manipulation, they even apply it to each other and themselves. It has offered another avenue, sorry, if it has offered another avenue to a place of liberation and love, then we have together, in the words of Paolo Freire, she misspelled Paulo's name here, 2007, acquired the, quote, knowledge that that emerges, sorry, the knowledge that emerges only through invention and reinvention, through the relentless and patient, continuing hopeful inquiry human beings pursue in the world, with the world, and with each other. How cute. And so here, that's what we have here. So this paper, the goal is to move critical pedagogy that is Marxist education, Marxified education into privileged classrooms, in her own words, the politics of liberation and love in privileged classrooms. Susanna E. Livingston, working in New York City. Uh, And what you see then is that the Marxists are salivating at the opportunity to take your $40,000 a year and turn your kids into the Marxist vanguard. So private schools are under Marxist assault, they're in fact already is woke or woker than the other schools than the public schools. They have no public oversight. So our school choice people need to have a little bit of thought about how we're going to redirect money to these people because you can hear exactly what's going on. But the Marxism, <laughs> direct citation references to Lenin, um, the freerian pedagogy, all clearly apparent in the public or sorry the private school sphere as well through this paper you can hear the mentality that's possessing private school education right now this paper is a 2022 paper it's brand new and you can hear that mentality which includes directly salivating for that trust fund you or your parents or somebody filled up for the privileged little bastard that they see your child to be while you pay them through the nose for the right to turn them into marxists to rip down the system and hate you for what you've done to them to dehumanize them by having money so think twice about whether or not you're going to continue to support the NAIS think twice about if you're going to continue to support these private schools that have taken up this garbage that will destroy your child it will destroy your family it will destroy your society the country that you live in and the society that has made you in a position of being a privileged bastard which is how they see you and that they have to set your children in opposition to you because of while you pay forty or fifty thousand dollars a year for the privilege.